welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. In this series that we're doing, is, which is He Shall Be Called, and so it's out of Isaiah 9, chapter, uh, 9, verse 1 through 7 in the Old Testament. So written probably about eight or 900 years before Jesus uh, came on the earth, and so uh, about the 8th century B.C., and so Isaiah was a prophet during that time, and he wrote this to bring hope. He wrote it in a dark time, and he wrote it to bring hope to the people. And so it was a time similar to ours. I don't think ours was quite as bad, but it was a dark time where they were kind of like, when will this end? When will this change? When will this get better? When will, will, will a newness come or things return to normal where it's normal life? And so Isaiah writes this to encourage them in that. And so uh, in the passages foretold or prophesied that there be names for the Messiah, the Messiah, the one that God promised that would, uh, that would rescue people from their, the people that oppress them, rescue them from their sin and rescue them and make things right between man and God. And so there's these names here that are given for who this Messiah would be. And uh, when in the ancient times, when a king would come to the throne, there would be throne names that would describe his reign or rule. And so in Egypt, there would typically be five. And so it's interesting as you read the passage that we're about to read, you look and you say, well, there's four. Because you people look together like today, wonderful counselor. But the Hebrew actually, the way it's written actually would be, there's not commas in Hebrew, but in essence, there should be. It should be wonderful as its own name and then counselor. And so as we read through the passage today, you'll see these different names which describe what this person is like, what this king, this Messiah will be like. They are not them themselves. It's not their actual name, but it describes what they're like. And so that's what we're going to see uh, today as, as, as we dive in. So let's read in Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Like, isn't that what you want to hear right now? Like, you know, with the pandemic and the social and political unrest in our country and our world, you, you want to know that this time will not last forever. So the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea will be filled with glory. And, and we need to hear that too, though, right? Because in the same way, like our country, we look at it and we're like, yeah, our country needs to be humbled, right? And the world needs to be humbled. And so, because we, we need God. There's an arrogance in the world today and the arrogance is getting humbled. And so, but you also want to know, but what's going to happen? And so the end of that verse one will be filled with glory. So the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So I sent out in my email last night uh, asking, you know, hey, find out where Isaiah 9, 1 through 2 is in the New Testament. Did anybody do that? Find out if anybody reads my emails. Okay, no one here. The hundreds of people that read my emails must have stayed home today. You online, put it in the comments. So I just sent it late last night. So I'm sure you didn't have time with all of your other Bible studies that you were doing. Uh, so Matthew 4, verse 15 through 16 is the place in the New Testament where Matthew writes his gospel and he shares this passage. So you'll notice in verse 1, 
when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea. So it's speaking of Jesus, you see, because this was Jesus's home base. And it's saying that a great light, that glory came to this place, right? The sea. And so isn't that beautiful? That it says that specific of God's promise, that he would come and be amongst the people. And so in verse three, it says, you will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood stained by war will be all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. So circumstances that are completely contrary to what they're experiencing is what's being promised. And if you were to sum up one of the major themes of the Bible, that's always true, right? Yeah, I mean, that's actually all of Christian spirituality is, is getting to the point where you believe what it is said about you instead of just looking at and viewing it through the lens of this world. You believe what the Bible says and say, well, I'm going to live by that, even though everything else around me says differently. They call that faith, right? And so, so that's the picture here is that it's totally different circumstances. And so it leads to this question, though, like with all of this amazing stuff that they're doing, that, that you'll, you know, it's saying that you'll enlarge the territory. Well, they're, they're hunkered down. They are a territory of Assyria at this point. They're overruled. And so this is saying your territory will be enlarged. It says they'll be rejoicing when all there is is mourning. Uh, it, it says that um, you'll rejoice at the harvest when, when probably much of their harvest that they would normally give to others was given away to the Assyrians. And then as warriors dividing the plunder, everything's being taken from them. So how can we go to this place where this is happening? So the question is, is who will do this? Who will make this happen? And it's similar to our time today because we wonder like, who has the answers to fix how messed up we are? Who has the answers to fix like all that's wrong, all that's going on, who has those answers? And I will tell you, it's not a politician, it's not a leader, it's not a person, but it's Jesus. Same then, same now. And so um, who would do it for Israel? Where it's the promised Messiah, who we know as Jesus. Because they were saved by faith in God doing what he would do. We're saved by faith by looking back at what God has done. People have always been saved the same way. Always, they looked towards the cross and what God would do. We look back to the cross. So in verse six, it says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Okay, so that's like the main, the main part for every week. Now, scholars argue about who Isaiah 9, 6 is talking about, because there's actually a current application and then a future fulfilling, if you look at it correctly. Because some people want to say, well, this just applies to Hezekiah, who Hezekiah was the king that would take over from Ahaz. 
And Ahaz is the leader that got everybody into all the trouble. He would not trust God and he decided to just do whatever he wanted to do and everything went bad. They became a territory of the Assyrians. And so, so now what we see is, is we see this promise of something coming out of it. So that's the current application. Uh, these were words of hope that Isaiah was writing in the, in the eighth century. But there's a future fulfillment. So as you read scripture, and it, it, typically when there's a prophecy of the Messiah or somebody else coming or happening, there's always the current application and then the future fulfillment. It's very rarely just put in there like this thing that means nothing now. I mean, isn't that amazing that God can weave together what he does and say, I'm going to encourage you now, but I'm also going to give you this huge nugget that you can chew on. And then you're going to be just amazed at how I pull this off and do it together. So the future fulfillment was the Messiah. And typically we will look at the passage and just look at it and say, well, well, of course, that's Jesus. But we need to look at the richness of it, that, that there's actually this other part of it that they were encouraged right there, that God was doing something now, and then he's also going to do the ultimate thing. Because sometimes we, we look at things and we're just like, well, well, that's great that it's, it's future off, but what about now? And we need to know that God is present now, and then he's doing things now. So when we look at he shall be called, these different names that are here, um, each of these names is, is really about who the Messiah is and what he's come to do. So um, these throne names of the coming kings, uh, they meant something. And if you look at many Israelites' names, their names many times end with uh, Ayah or El, or they start with Jeho or Yeho or El. Um, that sounds a little bit more Spanish than Hebrew, but anyways, you'll deal with me. So, but... So those names of the Israelites, they actually speak of Yahweh, their God. So that's why they put part of God's name into their name, because it would speak of representing this is my God. And then people that had other gods, little g, uh, they actually, their names would be uh, like Ramesses, right? Rom, okay. You know, and so you look at the Egyptians, they had different names that represented their gods. Uh, and so uh, there's Asher, Asherah, you know, the, the God, you know, that was in some person's names. Neb, Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so you have these different names that represent their God or it spoke of their God, what their God was like. And so when you look at these names described, ascribed to Jesus, there's something called a theophoric name. So it speaks of the God, like what they're like. And it's interesting where it says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's really a huge compound, actually singular statement. It's not plural. It's not, he will be all of these things, but this is his name. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Like this is his name. It's not a plural thing. It's all of these names, but it's, this is his name but it's just awkward to try to say it that way. And so today we're gonna to look at two names, Wonderful and Counselor. So um, Wonderful, it actually would be better if this was translated in the Hebrew, wonder, just straight wonder. We say wonderful because they're trying to put together the wonder in the counselor. And so like, well, wonder counselor, that, like, that doesn't really make sense. And so they've, the translators to help us out have tried to said wonderful counselor. 
but it's really just saying wonder. Like that's how his name starts, wonder. And so when you think of wonder, like the meaning is, is, is a miracle or a mis- mystery. Like you, you, you don't even have the words to describe what this thing is like. Like you're without words. You don't know what to say at how amazing this is. That's the idea that they're trying to communicate here. Now, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament actually speaks of a great mystery when it speaks of Jesus. And so he speaks of this mystery of how Jesus became a baby, or I mean, God became a baby, and then that baby became the savior of the world, and that baby died on a cross for the sins of the world, and that baby was in a grave for three days and conquered death itself, resurrected, went back to be with the Father. What a great mystery that that's how God would do this whole thing. And so that's why it's this mystery with him. So now let's focus on Jesus Messiah as counselor. So I don't know about you guys, but um, now I'm much more comfortable seeing counselors. Okay. Um, You may or may not be. No, no judgment. Um, I really enjoy uh, when I meet with people. Typically, my counselors are people that are a part of my life, that I respect their life, and, and, and they know me, and, and I meet with them. And, and, and then I've had some counselors I've met with. But when you think of a counselor, um, sometimes it's intimidating. Uh, what are the many reasons people don't want to meet with counselors? Well, they don't know me. Well, they don't care about me. They're just doing their job. Well, they're just applying these techniques. Oh man, I don't want to go lay on their couch. Wait, this is, is this really going to help? What do I really need here, right? Like there's just this suspicion, like a counselor, no way. Like they're just going to ask me weird questions and ask me about my childhood. And you know, this is just going to go bad. Well, I remember the first counselor I ever saw. And I was, uh, I was about 10 or 11 years old. And my parents uh, were getting divorced. And so my parents were worried about me. So they set up a meeting with the school counselor, okay? And if you're a school counselor, bless you, okay? This has nothing to do with you. It's, it's my baggage. So, but it was just this weird thing where this, the classroom was empty. The fifth grade classroom at the elementary school was empty. And I opened the door and I went in there and I still see him. And he's sitting on the far off corner and he goes, come on in, Cody. And I was just, you know, I was just like, man, this is going to go bad. So long story short, I made him cry. Uh, pretty much. And so, um, uh, you know, not really, but it it seemed like that. He was just trying to do his job, but I was not letting him in whatsoever. I'm just like, man, I, I, I'm not telling you anything. You don't care about me. You don't, you know, this just, you're just trying to, you know, I just had this suspicion. And so the question is, is that, is Jesus like that? Is he far off does he not really know me personally? Does he, is, he, is he not near? Um, does he see what I'm going through as trite and he really doesn't care or empathetic? See, what's interesting is, is that I saw this extension of help and health as this counselor. It was actually my unhealth. It had nothing to do with the guy because that's actually how I saw God. That's actually how I saw him, right? Because I saw God as far off. My life was falling apart. I saw God as not caring, not interested, just going upon his own business. And so that's how I approached him. And, but Jesus is wholly different. And you may have some good counselors in your life like I ha- do. Some may be good listeners. Some may just you know, point you to other things. Some may tell jokes and just make you laugh and do it. But very rarely do you find a counselor that has like everything, like the whole package of what a counselor has. And yet Jesus does. Charles Spurgeon, 
A 19th century English pastor and preacher said, why you may have a friend that talks very sweetly with you and you will say, well, he is a kind, good soul, but I really can't trust his judgment. You have another friend who has a good deal of judgment and yet you say of him, certainly he is a man of prudence above a great many, but I cannot find out his sympathy. I never get at his heart. If he were ever so rough and untutored, I would sooner have his heart without his prudence than his prudence without his heart. But we go to Christ and we get wisdom. We get love. We get sympathy. We get everything that can possibly be wanted in a counselor. And so this Messiah that is our counselor, he's just not full of wonder and wonderful and a great mystery, but he's also personal and he's also near. He's the promised one. And so we have many friends and mentors that can do many things, but Jesus does it all. And, you know, I, I, think, of, I think of the many instances in the New Testament where you see Jesus as a counselor, like everything you would just long for in a person that you would share your stuff with. And one passage in particular really stands out. It's Jesus with his friends. Uh, John chapter 1, John chapter 11, verse 1 through 44. It's a story of Jesus with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And Jesus is with his uh, disciples and he's, he's a ways away. And word comes to him that his friend Lazarus is sick. And so what Jesus does is he, he actually uh, yields to the purpose of God which is what any good counselor will do. They're not God themselves, but they yield to the bigger purpose. And so Jesus says, he says, you know what? Even though he's sick and I can heal, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And he waits for two days. And then later on, Jesus tells his disciples, Lazarus has actually died. And it's a good thing that I didn't go before and heal him because your faith is going to grow because of this. So he sees a bigger picture. And then we also see that uh, he himself is perfect in the ultimate resurrection as well. We see that Jesus says this when he comes along the scene, because Lazarus is dead. He's in the grave. Uh, the, his sisters are crying. Uh, they, had, they would hire uh, whalers. There'd be professional whalers that would come when you had a loved one die. And so their job was to make it as loud and just uproarious, in a, just in a hurtful, mourning way as possible. The louder, the better. It was looked upon as, as, as your stature was louder if the morning was louder. And so Jesus comes on this scene and he talks to one sister and, and there's some talk. And then there's another sister that comes out and they think she's going to the grave. So the mourners are following. It's this great scene and Jesus is there. But then he speaks this to one of them. And he speaks that he himself is perfect in ultimate resurrection. So think about that. A counselor, like a human counselor, they can point, they're a, really a sign. They're really a sign that gets you on off ramps and on ramps and they get you moving to the right place. But Jesus can point to himself. Look what he says to her as Lazarus is in the grave. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection in the life. Notice he didn't say, I know about the resurrection in the life, but he said, I am the resurrection in the life. And so you don't need to go to anyone else you don't need to look any further beyond me. I am the resurrection of life. And look what he says. And I read this at every funeral, every funeral that I've ever done in every place that I've ever been where people are mourning and over this, I read this because it is the clearest statement 
of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ when the horribleness of death is at our door. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? And so Jesus is able to point to himself. Isn't that wonderful? That, you know, you meet with a counselor and you're wondering, gosh, does this person know enough to help me? Does this person have enough experience to help me with my mess? Like the mess that I've made and what I've got going on. But when you come to Jesus as your counselor, he is life itself. He is everything. And then two, we see in the passage that um, it's actually the shortest verse in the Bible. And it says, and Jesus wept. Because as the whalers were there and everything was going on, Jesus was overwhelmed with the scene. He had such empathy and sympathy for what was going on. And it says that he wept. And then somebody far off near him says, do you see how he loved him? Like, do you see how he loved this person? And so you don't wonder whether this person cares. That's the kind of counselor that Jesus is. He comes near in our pain. He doesn't sit far off and say, you know what? It's good for him. It's good for him. You know, now, while that may be true at times that we go through hard things and we're strengthened. The Bible actually speaks of that. But Jesus is never far off just saying, well, we'll see how they do. He is always in the midst of our pain. He was always with us in that. He suffered in every way that we have and more. And then also, too, he models healthy relationships. You see, Jesus at the point that he is about to raise Lazarus from the grave, if, if you know the story. He stands there and he says, Father, you have always listened to me. And he says, I don't need to say this out loud for, the, for, for you or I, but for them so that they may have faith, they may have hope, they may understand. And Jesus always models healthy relationships. Like if, if you look at your life and you're like, man, I've really messed up every relationship I've ever had. I've really messed up. Like that was me before Michelle, my wife. Like I literally was just so clueless as far as relationships with women. I just didn't get it. And then with her, yes, I got it. I got it finally. Somehow, like the usual point where I would just jack it up beyond all measure. And I still remember the day. I'll tell you some other time. We don't have time. But I just like I did the right thing. And I'm like, oh, man, this is beautiful. This works. And so I understand this about not knowing how to have healthy relationships, but Jesus always models it. So if that's you and you say, I want healthier relationships, read Jesus, the counselor, read how he interacts with people. Look at how he doesn't shy away from truth. He doesn't shy away when, when hard things need to be said. He's front and center. He talks about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. He talks about not judging others, about, about, dealing with your own relationship first, taking this, the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of the others. There's so many good truths that Jesus just shares with us about modeling good relationships. And then lastly, he brings resurrection and redemption wherever he goes. Like wherever Jesus goes, resurrection and redemption goes. That's what he does. He brings life. He brings life wherever he goes because ultimately what he does is he speaks to Lazarus in the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth or Lazarus, come out. 
And then so Lazarus is all done up and, and, the, and so he kind of waddles out like a, like a penguin, right? I mean, I'm reading into it some. But Jesus does say, take the grave clothes off of him. And they told him, it's like, hey, don't open up. He's been in there too long. And so he's there and just like, let him loose, set him free. So you see Jesus, the counselor that's so near and so, so helpful. He's not far off. And so what is it for you today? You know, what is it for you that, that you've heard that like, man, I need to dig into that. It could be something based upon wonder. It could be something based upon counsel or both. You know, what, what do we do with this? Well, first, you know, how do you take this home? Be renewed in the wonder of Jesus this Advent. You know, I mean, if, 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 if all of this is a little dry for you, if, if, if all of like, you know, Jesus and Advent and Christmas, and you've lost the awe and the wonder, uh, be renewed in the wonder of Jesus. I'll, I'll tell you what, you guys, this is what's renewed me in the wonder of Jesus. In the last week, we had, we had one of our cars die on the side of the road. Like, and so our son, first time he's broken down. So we get in the car, we head down there and I won't share all the details, but no joke, no less than like three or four people rededicated their lives to Jesus Christ because of that car breaking on the side of the road. One dude ran out of gas right behind us or on the side of the road and his life was crushing down and he's like, God, what can I do? What should I do? I can't do this on my own. And God says, here, let me show you what I'm gonna do. And this kid, this 21 year old kid that's trying to turn his life around, I'm praying for him. Michelle and Wyatt drive back up because they went somewhere with the other car. And he's just sitting here on the side of the road. I'm praying for him. He's just weeping. God is just like loving this guy. I'm just like, God, I'm, I'm in awe of you. Not only did he get that, but he, he got home, which was his simple prayer. But he renewed his relationship with Jesus Christ and he had the strength and the hope to go to face the challenges that he had. And then there's another dude that we're driving with because we're looking at cars after this, right? Because the engine blew up, right? And so, so the good news is many people came to Jesus and we lost a car, right? So, but... C'est la vie, right? That's the kingdom. And so, so there's this other guy that's showing me a car and, and we're talking to him. And, and, and all of a sudden he's like, oh man. And he's texting me, hey, where? And he may be watching, I don't know. Hey buddy. Um, so, so, cause I told him, but he's like, hey, was this the scripture you were talking about? Cause he opened this Bible that his buddy gave him years earlier, right? And so all these people are hearing about Jesus. I'm in awe and wonder. I was about to say, break my car anytime, but I'm not gonna say that, right? But I'm in wonder at the love of God, his nearness. I'm in wonder that Jesus has come as a baby and he's the savior of the world, but he's still here moving by his Holy Spirit in people's lives, in this space, bringing people back to him. So be renewed with the wonder and the awe of Jesus Christ and what he's doing and has done on the earth. It's so good. And then we got a free key out of it. We had to buy a new vehicle, different vehicle. And so in... in I, what I got out of the deal was a key, right? Because the guy came back to me, he says, did you pray? Because the guy said he wouldn't give me this extra key. And I said, I said, no. And he goes, well, I don't know, but you got it. Your God did it for you. So there you go, that's right? So, um, but the next thing is, is uh, be counseled by Jesus and those he's, he has shared with you. Be counseled by Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, just like if you're like, whatever you view a counselor is, like, tell them your stuff. 
Tell them, like, tell them everything. Tell them everything in your heart. Tell them everything that's going on. Tell them if, if you're angry, tell them you're angry. If you feel let down, tell them you feel let down. If you're mad at him, tell them you're mad at him. Believe me, he can take it. But he needs to hear from you, your real heart. For when you bring your real heart, your real self to him, you find him. Why? Because you let down your mask. It's not about him. It's about us. He is right there face to face, but it's that we would get real and say, God, this is me. Just dirt, smudges, everything, all that I am, no, no prefacing, no, I'm, and this is me, God. And God says, yes, I love you. I adore you. And nothing is between me and you because of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of counselor that he is. And then also be counseled by those he has shared with you. Because guess what? The unfortunate thing or the hard thing is the main way that he counsels us and works with us is right here. Is the people he's put you in community with. He's put those people so that they, you can experience a physical hug. So you can experience physical eyes looking at you, physical ears hearing you, physical mouth giving you feedback. That's the next step. So this one that is called wonderful and counselor, he is near and he is with you. And we're going to worship him more as the worship team comes up. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.